0: to. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy30. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring
1: professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
0: Okay, guys, today on the Rise Together podcast, we are sharing a hard story.
1: It is a hard story. This is a hard hard story.
0: Specifically, we have a chapter from the audio book of Dave's new book
1: Get Out of Your Own Way A Skeptic's Guide to Growth and Fulfillment.
0: And this chapter, chapter four, is about
1: drinking. The lie. Each of these chapters is a lie that I once believed that kept me in my own way. And the lie of chapter four is that a drink will make this better. And a drink will not make this better. I can attest as a person now who has not had a drink in a year's worth of time, a drink didn't make it better. But uh, in the storytelling in this chapter, I get super honest about how a casual relationship with alcohol transitioned into a non-casual relationship with alcohol and how my set of habits and the way that I was processing anxiety and stress and identity shift and a whole host of things manifest in a totally unhealthy way that had alcohol not just keeping me from showing up as I'd like as a husband and father, but uh, keeping me from the opportunity to actually receive the benefits of the growth that I said I was leaving our job, my life, the transition from LA to Austin for. And as it turns out, I detail it here in this chapter, you know, alcohol or frankly, any negative coping mechanism is not a local anesthetic. You cannot mute the anxiety without muting the joy. You can't take away the identity challenge that you feel without also taking away the opportunity to feel the benefits of growth. So here it is in all its glory. uh, Chapter four of my new book, The Lie, A Drink Will Make This Better.
0: I'm Rachel Hollis.
1: And I'm Dave Hollis.
0: And we're married.
1: For like 15 years.
0: And we have four kids.
1: That's like a thousand kids.
0: We've been foster parents to four kids as well.
1: And we're running a business together.
0: That's a lot of things.
1: It is a lot of things.
0: But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life.
1: So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things,
0: this is Rise Together.
1: Chapter 4. The Lie. A drink will make this better. Speaking of having it all together, this may be the chapter where you ask for a refund. If you were hoping you were listening to a book from someone who has it all figured out and is running without bumps along the way, my friend, this is where I will spoil the ending. A Bruce Willis is dead the whole time kind of spoiler. I've been in a constant battle with my vices over the last three years. I'm talking about the behaviors you know you shouldn't do but find yourself doing anyway. I'm talking about having the vision of yourself where you are at your very best and acting in the total and complete opposite way. I have experience in this. Vices were there to soften the sharp edges in a season when I wasn't growing. When I tripped my way through the midlife bridge. When I left the corporate identity that made sense to everyone else. As I got oriented in this new, unconventional job. Even as I embarked on the ambition of writing this very book. In this recent stretch, I turned leaning on my vices into a survival habit. A habit I didn't really give much thought to and one that definitely didn't serve me or the growth I was hoping might come. It turns out, writing a book has been something of a trigger for me. Every one of these chapters, in some strange way, has required an introspection and honesty that usually only shows up in therapy. On the comfortable couch of someone named Deborah, it's super easy to talk about all the things you feel shame over. Or easier at least. It's a totally different thing to own what you feel when you know that other humans will read it. And that difference has made it hard for me to control some of the bad habits I've turned to over time to mute the stuff I don't like to think about. My vices exist to quiet the things I don't want to deal with. Unfortunately, though, in my experience, coping that shows up as a negative character trait often leads us to believe we are, in fact... Negative ourselves. A vice that shows our defects can make us believe we are defective. That creates a nasty circle and makes it feel even harder to keep on the path towards growth. Listen, I know growth happens outside our comfort zones and is the only way to fulfillment. I know these things to be absolute truths. And yet, I'm in the midst of my full submersion in this pursuit, and I can tell you, it's hard. It's hard to sit in places that you don't know. It's hard to try things you haven't tried before. It's hard to grow. I know it's supposed to be hard, but I'm learning in real time the trade-off between the healthy and unhealthy ways of handling hard things. I've taken the unhealthy path more than I'd like to admit. And I'm here telling you that in chasing all the things that will help me grow, I have to work harder now than ever to stay out of my own way. You'll have to work harder than ever as well. The transition in my life over the last few years has been wildly successful and violently disruptive to my sense of normalcy. I feel vindicated by the results, and consistently insecure about what this new normal is supposed to feel like. Growing into who we've been called to be is inspiring and freaking scary. For me, I've tended to turn to alcohol. Yes, over the years, I've struggled with smoking cigarettes and online poker and too many video games and gambling on sports and working out like a crazy person and on and on. Because I'm an overachiever, and usually, go big or go home. But if we're going to be really honest, I tend to turn to alcohol to numb my worry when stuff feels like it's out of my hands, to unconsciously self-sabotage when I feel insecure, even to manufacture steaks when things in my life got easy. Drinking was a lonely, shameful part of my life. I drank alone. I drank more than Anyone knew. I drank vodka so people couldn't smell it on my breath. I drank just about every day, just a little more than I should, for far too long. I hit points where Rachel could see it in a quick stumble at the end of a night. I felt embarrassment of a hangover in the drop off line at school in the morning. It anchored my mood to the floor. It crushed my motivation. It affected our sex life. Yes. It messed with the thing you're thinking. I'd convinced myself that a drink would make things better, but the only thing it did was kick the can on down the road, taking parts of my life that kept me getting in my way and making them worse for not dealing with them head on. My entire life, I've stayed tethered to a belief that a higher power is pulling the strings here and in doing so is complicit in opening doors, including the doors that provoke my anxiety, the doors that trigger my insecurity, the doors that, in seasons of feeling unfulfilled, have had me subconsciously self-sabotaging to create challenges. I know intellectually that life is happening for me, that these things are happening to pull out a greater version of myself, but then somewhere in my unconscious where my deepest insecurities live, that rational argument phrase. I used to cling to the idea of having a sense of control over what happens next. But I've come to appreciate that feeling like I'm in control isn't actually a part of the plan. A life of growth means a life of exhilarating discomfort. That's the actual plan. And as a result, the last few years have produced a season of control challenges, as in there is no controlling this new constant that is the chaos of our life. As in the times when I feel I have less control over life, I tend to believe I also have less control over how I deal with that loss of control. When things got crazy, I alleviated crazy with a drink or four drinks. Don't judge me. Well, actually, go ahead and judge me. I had to. So did Rachel. I had to judge what good it was doing for me to try and mute my feelings rather than deal with them. I had to judge if this alcohol plan was sustainable long-term. It isn't. Or if it served me at all. It doesn't. I had to judge if there was more good in digging into what was triggering my reaction than trying to not deal with it. If you want a meaningful life, you must create situations that make you uncomfortable. Comfort is a casualty of growth. If you aren't willing to put your comfort at risk, you better prepare yourself to settle for a mediocre life. I don't want mediocre. You don't either. If we're going to chase more, it's going to come with the reality that we'll have to risk more we're going to have to risk our usual, safe, normal lives. It's going to feel uncomfortable, because that's where growth comes from. Muting discomfort doesn't feed growth. It stifles it. I get that now. When medicating my anxiety during our transition from California to Texas turned into me drinking a little too much a little too often, Rachel confronted me in a way that only she could. You want to get anxiety under control? Do the work. You want to drink less? Take it seriously. Get a plan. Stop before you have too much. I've been trying to help you with these problems for two years, and I'm tired. Stop talking about it and start doing something about it. You are in control of your life. Your shame does not serve you when you make a mistake. Do the work. Get the help if you need it. And stop making excuses. I love you, Dave. But I can't save you. You need to save yourself.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launcher Your Online Shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1-per-month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer.
1: Tough. Love. For the second time in four chapters, I know. A guy can react to this in one of two ways. Grab another drink and drown away the challenge from a woman who loves you or sit in a posture of gratitude for the willingness of a partner to push you to step up for your life. On the first day I read this note, I felt more like the former. But every day since, I've been living into the latter. It's hard to have a mirror held up to your face. Hard to deal with the ridiculous things we do when we let our unconscious minds make bad choices for our lives. It's not fun to be called onto the carpet but it is necessary. Some of you may not be married to a woman as strong, confident, and crazy as Rachel Hollis. Let me channel her for those of you who need to hear this. You need to save yourself. Whatever your vice, your coping mechanisms, the set of habits that don't serve you or the ones you love, it's on you. It will be hard and take work. But it starts with you choosing to do the work and take control. Of course, some of you may not like the idea of having to hold yourself accountable, may not like what you see when you're forced to take a serious look in the mirror. I didn't. But being forced to do it was a gift. Afforded to me by someone who thought more of me than I did myself during that season. I was challenged to believe in myself as much as she believed in me. I'd negotiated with myself plenty. There were more than a few, I've had a hard day. I deserve these drinks, thought bubbles, to help me rationalize pouring another. But with the gauntlet thrown, I had to ask if I needed the drinks more than my kids needed an intentionally present dad. If the benefits of numbing my anxiety took precedence over being the exceptional husband I vowed to be for my wife. If taking the edge off of a long day came at the expense of building a business and responsibly supporting a growing team. I earned that drink, but they deserved better. As important as a good dose of accountability and perspective was in coming to fully appreciate the truth about coping mechanisms that numb, You can't numb the pain without numbing the joy. It's impossible to close off your anxiety without also eliminating the growth that comes from fully experiencing discomfort. In this pursuit for fulfillment, I reached for a muting agent to handle the unsteadiness of the new waters I was in. Only after diving into these hard conversations could I see that so long as I tried to mute the disruption of the waves, I would not experience fulfillment. Those waves, they weren't an obstacle. Those waves were the means to the end I'd been so desperately looking for. John Maxwell once said, Most successful people will point to the hard times in their lives as the key points in their journey of development. If you are dedicated to growth, then you must become committed to managing your bad experiences well. I don't want to discount the disease that is addiction in any way. If you are someone who truly can't control your impulses and are making choices that don't serve you, your relationship, or your future, own it. Get some help. Quit letting pride be the barrier between you and a version of you that can more aptly handle the crap you're dealing with. For far too long, I didn't want to really acknowledge the choices I was making or the choices I was subconsciously making to not have to actually deal with my stuff. Once I was able to ask better questions while being honest about how I was coping, I could deal with my insecurities and fears in a way that served me. When I sat and really thought about how I wanted my life to look, both how I am present in relationships and the ambitious plans we had for growing our team, I knew I had to take serious action. I committed to staying present in the chaos and friction of these big moves and new learning curves. As my friend Brendan Burchard would say, I decided to honor the struggle. I had to be honest about the triggers that might lie ahead as we scaled our business. I had to ask what it would mean to show myself that I don't need a drink, or that not having one might afford me the opportunity to actually receive the benefits. In real time, I haven't had a drink in more than five months. In doing so, I have been more focused as the complexities of the business have scaled. I have been more productive as the team has grown from 4 to 44 in the past year, all while writing this book. I've been more engaged with my kids and more intentional with my wife. I've dropped weight and have more energy and a sex life that's better than ever. Bless up, literally. Most importantly, I've shown myself that I don't need alcohol to deal with anxiety and stress. I've rewired the way I think about the necessity of a drink on a long flight or as an accomplice on vacation or the requirement for fun. I've shown myself I can do a thing that seemed impossible five months ago after 25 years of casual drinking gave way to something more than casual. Now that I know I can do the impossible, I believe I can do anything. When this book goes on sale, I will have not had a drink in 338 days. I committed to a year of sobriety the day that the edits came back on these words. Trust me, a trigger if there ever was one. As reinforcements for Dave 2.0, I added a healthy eating plan, put together a gym in our garage, and committed to workouts or running every single day. I've talked openly with friends, family, and mentors about my decision to intentionally pursue healthier choices. I reconnected with my therapist to leave a line open as needed. I went all in on a complete reboot of mental and physical health, and the introduction of a new set of habits have had a remarkable effect. The mindset change of embracing the necessity of discomfort for growth has been a springboard in this season. It led to my climbing 29,029 vertical feet in a weekend. It had me finish my first marathon. It has me on a perpetual, intentional pursuit of hard things. You see, the need to numb drastically reduces when you actually believe growth is supposed to be uncomfortable. If I had been willing to sit with the heavier consequences of these new things I was being challenged with, it would have forced me to grow into a bigger, more resilient, and stronger version of myself than the one who chooses booze or anything else to mute the tension. Now that I see that the struggle, the resistance, is the way— I know that the idea of muting it with a vice is totally and completely counterproductive. I choose instead to lean in and feel it fully, even though it's hard. For you, it may not be alcohol, but we all have a coping mechanism that, if we leave it unattended, can spin into something that gets in our way. If you're stuck, Behind a lie that has you using food, drugs, sex, sleep, passive aggression, self harm, bad hygiene, withdrawal, or anything else to keep you from processing the thing you need to feel to grow, choose discomfort over coping. Choose growth over the unhealthy things that are going to keep you in your own way. It won't be easy. It will be worth it. Things that helped me. 1. I got to the root of why I turned to vices. The idea that a drink could make my stresses better was built on a foundation of believing that the drink was a better option than anything else I might interject to take the drink's place. Now that I can see how the cocktail was an answer to a question of how to calm nerves, I've learned to ask myself what better answers might exist. I've substituted those, working out, sitting in therapy, talking with a mentor, being honest with my business partner wife for the impulse to drink and mute. 2. I kept coming back to the devastating impact of muting life in an attempt to avoid a single thing. The notion of drinking, or insert your vice here, to help you mute your anxiety or frustration or fear presupposes that you can use it as an accurate local anesthetic rather than a general pain suppressant. The more time I've spent understanding the impact of my vices, the more I appreciate that the muting of the bad also comes with the unwanted muting of all the good. Making choices that could minimize the good just to control the bad isn't going to bring out the best in my life, so I won't walk down that road. 3. I committed to a team of accountability partners for the areas where I struggle. I'm a good dude, and I can't do this alone. At a recent lunch with three of my buddies, I had to give it to them straight that I was leaning on alcohol to calm my anxiety and that, if I was going to get through it, I would need them to support me when we were hanging out, to check in with me on the regular, and to encourage me to drink the crap out of my sparkling water. I also sat with my wife, and we committed to being a team on this. This problem has become our problem that we'll solve together. Don't think that you have to get through your struggles with vices alone. Rather, stack the odds in your favor to train yourself to make choices that serve you, supported by the people in your life who can help you get to where you're hoping to go. Hey guys, if you like this book, you can grab it literally anywhere. It's in physical and audio copies. There's a special edition at Target and Barnes and Noble. There's a special edition on Audible where I'm reading it and then after I'm done reading it, Rachel and I have a conversation about it. Uh, But go pick this book up. It is literally available everywhere books are sold.